Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Brom Rector. Brom, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Brom is the founder of Empath Ventures, a VC fund that invests in early stage psychedelic medicine companies. And I sent you a cold note on LinkedIn after I read an article that you were in Wall Street Journal and you were kind enough to respond. And here we are. Before we went live, we were both talking about how we've had this very recent experience within the family office investment community of a huge amount of appetite, maybe not to invest per se right off the bat, but a huge amount of appetite to learn more about this space. I'm curious, given where, and we'll get into your background and kind of the focus, but from an investor standpoint and you're, the way that you're structuring your firm and where this industry is, is that the ideal investor for you? right now yeah so someone who's already kind of learning about psychedelics and getting excited yeah um you know one thing that i learned when setting up this fund and I, i'll give you a full detailed background at some point but i i never worked on the capital raising side of things before i was always on like the portfolio manager or research analyst side so this is kind of my first time having to you know talk to investors and convince them to invest in something and one thing that i really learned was that the key, at least for me, has been to find people that are already interested in psychedelics. One of the biggest wastes of time, and I don't want to say waste of time, it sounds bad, but one of the things that I've spent a lot of time on without it yielding any results has been trying to go out to people that had really no idea that even psychedelic investing was a thing and try to convince them that it should be a thing. You know, it's better to find people that are already kind of into it and then just convince them that I'm the right guy to, you know, manage their money 
as it related to investing in spaces. Right. Because you know, it it's such a it's such a like renegade new kind of crazy space that convincing people that it's a good thing to be involved in is very, very difficult. It's better to get people that are already kind of into it. Right. It reminds me of cannabis 10 years ago where people who were had an affinity for it, understood it, were practitioners. They kind of create their own tribe, their own clan. Yeah. And they they're taking that kind of their own personal experiencing within it and then trying to figure out how they can allocate capital to it and get exposure on the investment side. Totally. And if you look at my LP base, I would say not all of them, but about 90% of my LPs have either had a transformational experience with psychedelics or someone close to them, like a family member, had their lives dramatically improved by psychedelics. So our investor base is mostly made up of people that have you know experienced the magic firsthand, I guess. Well, and and that's where, you know, talk about a fun product to sell or to pitch because, you know, you can get in the car and drive it, right? And you can see for yourself what the impact is as opposed to some pharmaceutical or drug investments where, you know, if you don't have diabetes or if you don't have XYZ, you don't fully appreciate the transformative effects that it can have on you. Totally right. And it's, I mean, the types of transformation very greatly. We have people that come to the fund that have all sorts of very different backgrounds and perspectives from which they're looking at psychedelics. So for example, we have some people who know someone in their family who is like addicted to opiates and they use psychedelics to help break their addiction to, you know, heroin or something like that. Then we have people who, you know, were chronically depressed for a long time and use psychedelics to treat their own chronic depression and then we have like some tech guys that have gone to Burning Man every year for the last decade and have like done a bunch of acid and are just like, this shit is cool, man, you know, <laughs> and like it's that perspective. <laughs> yeah. And I, so all they're very different perspectives, but under the umbrella of psychedelics, they all believe that psychedelics have some, you know, power and that they should be, you know, more mainstream. It's definitely getting into the just general conversation because even in some things that are like, I'm a huge hockey fan, most professional ice hockey people are fairly conservative, frankly. They're from very rural areas in, in Canada or the US, but it's becoming accept widely accepted that microdosing is a really good or effective means to progress through post-concussion syndromes and, and issues. And it's part of this conversation now where a lot of players are coming out saying that they're they're really benefiting from this. And so it certainly is kind of increasing. Could we we kind of went off right off the bat, which is fun, but I do want to get tightened up a little bit. Could you maybe help us define the universe of what you consider in terms of psychedelics and, and within your investment yeah. scope so we can be definitional here? Totally. And uh, just to touch on what you just said on the hockey front, Daniel Carcillo, pretty well-known hockey guy. <laughs> he actually is the co-founder of a company that is specifically looking at using psychedelics to treat brain injuries. There you go. So yeah, yeah there's that. Yes, the definition of psychedelics. So for our purposes, we are kind of using one of those definitions that's like you know it when you see it rather than going by any strict scientific and technical definitions. There's sort of some scientific and technical definitions of what a psychedelic is that we feel are a bit too narrow. So for example, those scientific definitions would not include ketamine or MDMA as psychedelics. We believe that they're close enough. We also do not believe that cannabis is a psychedelic, so we don't invest in anything related to cannabis at all. Kind of one way that I like to think about what psychedelics are 
is a form of experiential medicine. It's like a type of medicine that actually gives you, you actually feel it working in the moment. You know, it gives you some kind of experience and that experience allows you to, you know, look at things in your life in a different way than you might normally look at them. And that perspective shift allows you to hopefully change, you know, your behavior or your relationship with those issues going forward. Another kind of defining feature of a lot of psychedelic medicine is that the effects of the medicine outlast the length of time that the drug is present in your blood, meaning that you might take mushrooms one day and the antidepressive effects don't go away as soon as you stop taking them. They last you know, for weeks, which is in contrast to something like SSRIs or traditional antidepressants, which stop working as soon as you stop taking them. Also very much in contrast to cannabis, which I know a lot of people use cannabis for pain relief and the pain relief ends is, you know, 30 minutes after you stop smoking the joint, right? So th those are kind of two big defining characteristics of psychedelic medicine. It's like there's some kind of experience that accompanies the consumption of the drug. And usually the benefits last for a very, very long time after that experience has stopped. And what about things that occur in nature versus man-made? Do you draw a distinction there or is it all just one big tent for you? We, we've invested in companies that are working with some of the natural psychedelics like psilocybin and ayahuasca. And we have also invested in companies that are working with more man-made and synthetic compounds like LSD and ketamine and MDMA. You know, many people have very, very strong opinions about usually the opinion is natural is better. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but you know, there's room for everyone, I guess, <laughs> in the psychedelic tent. But no, we, we are kind of agnostic to the natural versus synthetic debate. And you, you mentioned a few, like you're not doing cannabis. Are there other places that are a no-go for you just from an investment standpoint within your yeah. scope of return? Well, we haven't been pitched on a cocaine company yet, but you know, if we were, we'd probably pass on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. No, I, I think cannabis is the main no-go. I would say that there are other areas of no-goes that we see a lot. So we see a lot of companies that are like psychedelic adjacent, but aren't quite psychedelic. So there's a lot of hype and excitement around things like lion's mane and reishi, which are these different types of mushrooms that supposedly give you some cognitive benefit. And I think because they're mushrooms and then there's also magic mushrooms, people are often like, oh, this is a psychedelic fund. So they'll invest in like my lion's mane supplement company. And I'm like, ah, eh, lion's mane's cool, but it's not really psychedelic. So we're going to pass on that. We're really trying to hone in on real psychedelic compounds and substances. Yeah. And, and that's where I, th I think people out there, I think are probably educating themselves enough. There's, there's nootropics, right? Kind of lion's mane, some of the things that you referenced, which are today, you know, accessible, legal, but don't have any well, I wouldn't think they have psychedelic. I wouldn't define them as, as psychedelics, no. but I guess there is some confusion there within the marketplace potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think most people would call them psychedelic, but I think they just think like, oh, mushroom, psychedelic, you know, it's close enough. So we'll get see if this guy wants to invest. So before we get into a little bit more about the market, the opportunity, the investments, how did you get here? Yeah. I got here, the journey started about a decade ago, shortly after college, when I started experimenting with psychedelics personally. I was raised in a pretty kind of like religious, conservative environment, and I rebelled against that in my teenage years and became very atheist. And then in my early 20s, I was like, you know, the atheism thing is kind of fun, but like maybe there's a way that I can engage with some kind of like spiritual element of life without having to believe in some kind of like religion. And when I started Googling 
that sort of thing. I found all these stories of people having these very profound mystical and spiritual experiences on psychedelics without requiring some sort of like belief in a higher power. And that's what drew me to it initially. And then I kind of started understanding the mental health benefits. My dad was an army and the officer for my entire childhood. And I kind of saw firsthand what undiagnosed and untreated mental health issues can do to like a family, not just to my own family, but also in a lot of my friends' families who are also, you know, military families. And so I, I kind of got it and understood how powerful psychedelics could be. And I continued using them as sort of a cornerstone of my own sort of like self-care and mental health routine throughout my 20s. But I honestly never really thought that there would be a legit industry being built around psychedelics. I just thought it was going to stay underground forever. Professionally, I worked as a quantitative researcher and portfolio manager at a number of different hedge funds. I have my background academically is both in computer science and finance. Like I did graduate school in computer science and machine learning at Georgia Tech. I'm a CFA charter holder. So I have like pretty strong grasp of both finance and computer science, which led themselves pretty strongly to like different quantitative portfolio management roles. And I worked at a fund here in LA where I live now called Craybolt that manages about $10 billion in assets as of today. And I was a global macro guy there. And like a lot of folks in the hedge fund space, I liked my job and found it interesting, but I didn't really love it. And that all kind of came to a head in 2020 when we were in the middle of COVID and I was working this job out of my apartment instead of in the office. And I was coming up on my 30th birthday and I was just feeling like, man, you know, I really want to start the next decade of my life doing something I really love instead of doing something that I just kind of like. And so without really much of a plan for what to do next, I quit my job just a few weeks before I turned 30. And as luck would have it, it was around that time that there were the first sort of signs of life of a for-profit industry starting to be built around psychedelics. So there were a couple of IPOs of pharma companies doing research on psychedelics. And as a hedge fund guy who was into psychedelics, the idea that there was like a psychedelic stock out there was really captivating to me. And I started going down the rabbit hole trying to understand the business and investment opportunity of psychedelics. One of the first things I did as I started a podcast, because it gave me an excuse to talk to all the people that were starting these companies and investing in these companies. And I was really just running the podcast for fun without really an end goal in mind. But people started messaging me saying, hey, I have $100,000. I want to invest in psychedelics. Like, what should I do? And I also had companies reach out and say, hey, you know, we're fundraising. We all love your podcast. Can you help promote us and help us raise money, et cetera? And I was like, man, I have basically, without intending to, created a source of potential LPs and potential deals. Like maybe I should start a fund. And so that is what I did. So um, fast forward to the end of last year, 2021, set up the infrastructure for a fund. The goal is to raise a $10 million proof of concept fund focused exclusively on psychedelic medicine, have personal commitments from people like Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon at Andreessen Horowitz, Jim O'Shaughnessy of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management and some other interesting LPs on board. And out of the money that we've closed, we've invested in 12 companies to date. So, you know, there's a bit of momentum. We have some money in the bank. We've have some portfolio companies that are, you know, doing pretty well and about to raise, you know, series A's. So we'll get some cool markups and, you know, it feels like we're in a good place and excited to like be in early on this industry. So what is the current state of play in terms of the regulatory and legal environment? around psychedelics there are 100 illegal here's so people off you know following is like well how do you invest in them then a couple of different business models here that you can invest in one are the companies that are trying to get psychedelics approved by the fda so these are basically just pharma companies that happen to be working with psychedelic molecules turns out that you can get a dea waiver to work with you know a schedule one compound it just takes a little bit of paperwork 
Right. Basically, uh, it's, it's an exemption to the Schedule One prohibition, right? It's yeah. Through these, yeah. It allows you to run a clinical trial. And of course, the idea is that if these clinical trials programs ultimately get approved by the FDA as pharmaceutical drugs, then it gets bumped down from Schedule One to something else. And then doctors are able to prescribe it just like they would prescribe anything else. So we invest in a lot of like biotech companies that are doing that kind of work. We also invest in companies that are trying to invent new psychedelic drugs, which is kind of interesting. You know, a lot of the most popular psychedelic drugs like MDMA, ketamine, and LSD were invented by humans. In many cases, invented by humans a very long time ago when they did not have nearly as cool up-to-date technology as we have today. So I got to think that we can invent some really cool psychedelic drugs if we apply today's technology to that task. And there's also sort of like infrastructure and accessories businesses around psychedelics. So this could be a company that helps deliver psychedelic medicine to patients. We invested in a center in Mexico that uses a less commonly known psychedelic drug called Ibogaine to help people get unaddicted to heroin and oxy. So it turns out that Ibogaine, the psychedelic compound, is not scheduled in Mexico. So you can actually administer it legally there. So, you know, that facility is actually operational now and is, you know, helping people overcome their opiate dependency with the assistance of psychedelics. We also invested in a telehealth platform that prescribes ketamine via telehealth. Ketamine is kind of the one exception to the all psychedelics are currently illegal thing that I said earlier. Ketamine can be prescribed by doctors. Ketamine is also not a true psychedelic, but it's kind of close enough. It causes that experience that I was talking about and its antidepressive effects do last a lot longer than the drug stays in your system. So we invested in a company called New Life, spelled N-U-E Life. They're an app. You literally go on there, you talk to the doctor, they diagnose you, they mail ketamine to your house, you do a telehealth supervised ketamine experience. And then if you want to do another one, you know, a few weeks later, you're able to do another one. But they've facilitated over 50,000 ketamine experiences to date, and they're making, you know, pretty substantial revenue doing so. And then we've also invested in sort of some weird you know, kind of off the wall companies. Like we invested in this one that focuses on making music for psychedelic therapy. Anyone who's ever done psychedelics knows that music is a very powerful component of the experience. And so this company makes these customized like five to six hour soundscapes that are kind of designed to elicit optimal therapeutic responses from the psychedelic experience. So it's a bit of everything, some biotech, some software, some clinics, but it's all united under the uh, psychedelic umbrella. It's just fascinating, but you're not, investing in, I'm not even sure what the terminology would be, but I know that there are private companies internationally hosting events or clinics that are helping people work through some of these mental health issues hmm. by leveraging psychedelics, right? The, the experiential resorts yeah. that are so out the, there. So the place that I mentioned in Mexico that we invested in is very close to that. You know, they're primarily focused on treating opiate addiction, but they also do have other programs as well. And I mean, you're doing a, it's a full, you know, psychedelic experience. Ibogaine, the drug that they work with is a very, very powerful psychedelic. That is the only investment of that type that we've invested in so far. Because I think a lot of people listening will, will have seen or have heard about some of these trips, <laughs> maybe dual usage of the, of the term yeah, trips, trip um, trips that are being put on by, folks within the tech bro or the finance world and a lot wow. of hedge fund managers now, and they're actually bringing LPs with them, which I think is super interesting. If you were going to be a, a general partner, bring along one of your biggest investors to do one of these things with. But I was just curious if you had exposure, which sounds like 
a little yeah. bit. We haven't we haven't invested in any of those, and the idea of consuming a psychedelic drug with any of my investors sounds just like a bad time. So you know, it's not really that's not for <laughs> but me. But some of these things yeah. are like I've looked into it a little bit. I just I'm curious, and I, I wouldn't be opposed to doing it myself, frankly. But they are very expensive. I mean, you're talking about like some six figure type yeah. experiences that are out there. Yeah, I'm sure there are some six figure ones out there. You know, you definitely see a lot that are like in the five to ten thousand dollar range, and you're there for you know a couple of days, and you do you know maybe mushrooms and ayahuasca. I mean, I've not gone on anything like that before. I have done a guided ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah, I mean, look, just like any other industry, there's like tiers. You know, there's like the Equinox Gym, and then there's Planet Fitness, and that's the luxury tier of psychedelic retreats. Most people don't do those. Most people just do mushrooms in their backyard. <laughs> and right. That's, and that's yeah, fine. that was that was more of my college experience. <laughs> so let's get into the benefits. I know I'm jumping around here quite that's a bit, okay. but we talked about dealing with depression, with post-concussion issues. I mean, what is what are the the big ticket uses here, in your opinion, within yeah. the mental health sphere that psychedelics can can be leveraged for? The headline is most mental health issues. So depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder are kind of the big three. If you look at kind of the statistics around mental health in the US, they're a bit depressing. About 20% of people are currently diagnosed with some sort of mental health issue, the bulk of those being depression, anxiety, or PTSD. About one in six American adults is on some kind of psychiatric drug, mostly antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. And over the course of your life, there's a 50% chance that you get diagnosed with some sort of mental health issue at some point. So, you know, massive population of people currently struggling with these things and the current treatments that we have are certainly far from optimal. So you look at SSRIs, which are the most common type of antidepressant, first of all, for about one in three people that they're prescribed to, they don't even work. Like one in a third of the population is like non-responsive to them. And even if they do work, Oftentimes they have pretty negative side effects. Like the two big ones are uh, weight gain and sexual dysfunction, like not really exciting and enjoyable side effects. And like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they kind of stop working once you stop taking them. So you kind of stuck with these things. And then you look at anti-anxiety drugs like benzodiazepines, which the Xanax would be the main example. They do work pretty well at reducing anxiety, but they can be addictive and you know you have to basically take it every time you have an anxiety attack. It doesn't really solve anything. And we spend, you know, like $40 billion a year on these psychiatric drugs. We spend $280 billion a year in the US alone just on mental health in general. And the numbers around mental health keep getting worse. Like one of the most sobering statistics to look at is this thing called uh, the deaths of despair, which is this catch-all term the CDC uses. It includes things like suicides, deaths from things like cirrhosis of the liver, which you get from abusing alcohol, drug overdoses, et cetera. The rate of deaths of despair in the U.S. has doubled since 1999. So it's not just like a recent thing. You know, This is a trend that's been going on for a while. And so all of our current treatments you know, just like don't work that well. So enter psychedelics. And, you know, as we kind of touched on, there's this growing body of evidence that psychedelic assisted therapy can, in many cases, treat things like depression, anxiety, and PTSD in two, three different experiential sessions and some, you know, talk therapy in conjunction with that. So the idea is that we can get the FDA to approve these psychedelic compounds. And then, you know, some of that $40 billion a year on psychiatric drugs and $280 billion a year on mental health that we're currently spending pretty ineffectively can be rerouted to the psychedelic industry. 
that's kind of the investment thesis right there. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. Yeah, I mean, we don't have enough time to go through my thoughts on all the statistics that that you referenced. I think it's very sobering. I'm 40 years old. And I can tell you, I think the amount of depression, anxiety, overall loneliness within my generation is way underestimated, in my opinion. And to your point, I, ha- I had an acute depressive episode a number of years ago. And, you know, you get put on these SSRIs. And I luckily am affluent. I have resources. I had a really good team around me. And I had an off-ramp after 90 days. But if you don't have those things, yeah, you're just kind of stuck on the treadmill forever. And it's not a great experience. And one of the questions for you is, is probably an unfair question, but I'm going to go there anyways. Sure. Part of this, I think, problem and these kind of misaligned interests is with big pharma. And it would seem like psychedelics are in many ways kind of a renegade solution against big pharma, but you're you're working with them and you see big pharma's coming into this space. How do you reconcile that tension? Yeah. This is actually, I think, a bit of a misconception. It's actually a very common question, though. Like people kind of say, you know, big pharma doesn't want psychedelic therapy to get approved because then it's going to eat into their, you know, profits that they make from SSRIs and things. The first thing to note is that a lot of these antidepressants that are currently prescribed were invented more than 20 years ago, meaning that they're off patent and you're able to get generics. So big pharma is actually not even making that much money from these things. Like most of them are generic at this point. Big Pharma is like pretty interested in psychedelics. They haven't started investing heavily or developing a lot of the stuff themselves. But I can say that a lot of the portfolio companies that I've invested in have had, you know, multiple conversations with like corporate development groups from Pfizer and a lot of the other big players. I think that they're kind of looking, seeing, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, maybe there's some acquisitions or something. I don't think Big Pharma is against psychedelics. I haven't really seen any evidence of that. And the FDA seems more than willing to play ball with these psychedelic clinical trials. I mean, the FDA has granted breakthrough therapy designation to a number of different psychedelic clinical trials, which kind of puts the trial on a bit of a fast track. So that's kind of evidence to the contrary. And yeah, I I don't think that's really something to be too concerned about. No, that's that's great feedback, and I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. And so are these big pharma companies seeing some of these smaller shops that you're investing in as kind of outsourced R&D that they don't want to put the resources internally to work, but they're more than happy to pay a multiple on the heavy lifting that's already been done by these smaller firms? Totally. And in fact, if you look at how big pharma operates in general, they very rarely these days do a lot of like early R&D. So the FDA approval process has like three phases, phase one, two, and three. And a lot of times big pharma just like acquires a bunch of smaller pharma companies once they get to like phase one or two, and then just uses their resources to get it over the finish line. But 
Big pharma, you can think of big pharma as almost more of like private equity firms than like science firms. You know, it's like the small pharma companies that do all the research, then big pharma just buys it, injects it with cash and brings it home. It's kind of their general operating model. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so within this kind of landscape, you referenced some of these statistics about what's been happening over the last generation. What else is it about the current moment that is bringing this to the fore? in your opinion, that it's becoming, not, I would go beyond accepted. I mean, it's almost encouraged within certain communities to yeah. explore these. And, and now you're seeing private capital get involved, which is a quintessential American thing where oftentimes it seems impossible that this will be accepted in the general population. And then it becomes inevitable in many ways. Yes. As soon as something becomes an industry, then it's you know totally acceptable. There are a lot of different things. I mean, for one, we're starting to see a lot of popular media with popular positive portrayals of psychedelics. So there's like all these documentaries on Netflix, like Fantastic Fungi and How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan wrote this book, How to Change Your Mind. I think it came out in like 2015 or something that was just hugely influential in getting a lot of people that, you know, were older and were a bit more conservative to be excited about psychedelics. I think like 80% of the people I meet that are recently excited about psychedelics, it's because they read that book <laughs> and they're now excited about it. Um, another big narrative that's driving the psychedelic acceptance, especially in you know, more conservative areas, is the narrative around veterans with PTSD being treated through using psychedelic therapy. You know, that's a very like bipartisan story that pretty much everyone can get behind. So, you know, if you're hanging out with someone that's not in New York or LA <laughs> and they have a and you're trying to introduce it to them, you know, that might be a good angle, but all, all this stuff just kind of like creates a flywheel. And before you know it, you know, just, there are just so many more positive portrayals of it. More people try it. People hear stories from people that are kind of in their own, you know, demographic group. And then all of a sudden it becomes accepted. So to your point, it's interesting. I was at this, we talked about this before we went live, this family office conference in West Palm beach in Florida, <laughs> you know, you're talking about ultra high net worth individuals and families were in West Palm Beach, literally a mile from Miralago. So a pretty conservative place, right? And I think the two issues that are truly accepted across the board politically these days is one, a unification of America against China, which we're not going to get into here. Two is the legalization of marijuana, frankly, just if it's either from a tax revenue perspective or just a, a cultural general acceptance perspective or replacement of people's abuse of alcohol, whatever it is, it seems to have a very broadly accepted notion these days. What do you think the current climate is around psychedelics, both politically, but then socially yeah. across geographically America and then and then politically as well? You know, it's similar. It's a little bit behind. I think a lot more people are familiar with cannabis than they are with psychedelics. We are, in addition to all this FDA stuff that I was talking about, we are also seeing similar things that happen with cannabis happen in psychedelics. And by that, I'm referring to sort of these state-by-state -state ballot measures that took place and that now we, I think like half of the states in the U.S. have like some form of marijuana that's available at the state right. level, even though it's still federally illegal. So in the 2020 election, Oregon passed a law that goes into effect in January of this year that's going to allow supervised adult use of psilocybin within the state of Oregon. And then just in, during the midterms that we had like two weeks ago, Colorado passed a similar law. So now there's like two states that have statewide legislation that's been passed relating to psychedelics. 
And I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot more states pass similar legislation. And hopefully at some point we get some sort of federal action. I would think that'd be positive for your investments, positive for your portfolio companies. It wouldn't be competitive, correct? Or am I miss? Am I not? I, I would ag- I would agree. I mean, they're two very, very different business models, right? Like the idea of the FDA approving like a pharmaceutical version of synthetic psilocybin is very different from, you know, California saying that you can now go to like a store around the corner and buy a bag of mushrooms. Like those are two very, very different business models that probably target very different types of consumers. So I would agree that they're more like complementary than competitive. That's my hope anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what we've seen play out within the cannabis space. It's it's accretive, I think. More market participants, the more education, the more familiarity, the better, uh, yeah. both in terms of competition, but then also just private capital participants. Totally. So w- within that sphere, you mentioned a couple of the investments you're making, but if somebody listening to this is considering investing like with your firm or maybe doing some direct deals or getting exposure to the space... Like, what are the most compelling opportunities in your opinion right now? So there are a few. I mean, one thing that we really haven't started getting into yet are business opportunities that take advantage of those state-by-state ballot measures that I was talking about. So the Oregon law is going into effect in January, and we've slowly, just over the past few months, started to see pitch decks come in that are like Oregon-specific businesses that are going to operate there. And I'm sure we'll start seeing a similar thing happen with like Colorado-specific businesses we're still trying to figure out the right way to play that. I think there is a lot of alpha to be had there because these are very like idiosyncratic opportunities that have a very specific set of like regulatory, you know, points attached to them. The businesses that are going to be operating in those types of environments are subject to the same problems that cannabis companies have, like they're dealing with something that's still federally illegal, so it's very hard for them to like get a bank account and insurance and everything, but if your risk tolerance is high enough, like there's probably a way to make money. So we're being trying to be very thoughtful and intentional with how we approach that. I think we will make some investments there. On the biotech front, I feel like the idea of like psychedelics for mental health disorders is a bit saturated at this point. There are a lot of drug development companies looking at all different types of psychedelic compounds for depression, anxiety, and PTSD. What we haven't seen a lot of yet and that we're starting to see more of and we're very excited about are people taking psychedelics and applying them to other sort of disorders that are not necessarily mental health. So things like Alzheimer's and dementia, there's this very interesting relationship between the gut and the brain. We have like a lot of, I think more than 50% of our body's serotonin is actually produced and recepted in the gut. So because of that, there's all this like anecdotal evidence that people with things like IBS and IBD are treating their you know, issues with psilocybin, which is kind of crazy. So we've like looked at some companies that are trying to create, treat gut diseases with certain derivatives of psychedelics. We've seen some companies that are looking at stroke, like how can you regain motor function after you've had a stroke? Can psychedelics induce enough neuroplasticity to help you, you know, regain that motor function that was lost? Autism is another interesting area of research. So basically, you know, long story short, just looking outside of the depression, anxiety, and PTSD areas that so many psychedelics companies are focused on. We think there's big opportunity there. So you mentioned some things that might be saturated valuations might be high. Are there other areas or pitch decks that you see come across your desk that if if investors are listening, might get exposure to that are just generally a a bad idea to invest in today in the space? Well, I, you know, it depends on what type of return profile you're looking for. So 
earlier we were talking about these retreats or like kind of resorts in other countries. And I actually think a lot of those can be very, very good cash flow generating businesses. Does that fit within a VC portfolio? Maybe not, but that doesn't mean it's a bad investment. If you're like someone who's comfortable with more like real estate, private equity type returns, those might be amazing deals for you to get in on. We just don't know how well those fit into our portfolio model, right? So a very different type of return profile. And I think a lot of the businesses that are going to operate in places like Oregon and Colorado are going to be sort of like these centers that are basically attract, you know, centers for like psychedelic tourism, for lack of a better word. And I think there's like a lot of opportunity for real estate type folks to get involved there. In terms of like bad ideas, you know, just make sure that whatever you're investing in is legal. We do get pitched. It's kind of hilarious. Like we get pitch decks for people that are like, I am currently manufacturing, you know, 500,000 psilocybin chocolate bars a month and I'm making a million dollars a month selling these. And they're like these beautifully branded, nice looking bars. And it's like, dude, you realize this is, you're like breaking the law in like a major way. Right. And they're like, yeah, but so make, make sure whatever you're doing is legal. And if you're investing in companies that are on the uh, biotech side, make sure you really know what you're doing because evaluating biotech companies is not for the faint of heart and it does require true expertise, which you know we have on our team, but not everyone has that. And do you think ultimately we've seen this play out with alcohol, tobacco, and increasingly within the cannabis space, it's going to be an issue of who has the best branding eventually that will get market share? If we're looking at like- On the consumer retail side. Yeah. Yeah. On the consumer side, if you're looking at like state by state type businesses, yeah, I think branding will be key. There's still going to be like kind of market segmentation, I think. So there will be like this super psychedelic branded, like trippy shrooms type stuff. And then there will be like the Gwyneth Paltrow goop, super high end, like mushrooms for mommies type products. Right. And, you know, those two can coexist, but yeah, branding is going to be huge for sure. So if somebody out there listening has not experienced this before, and I'm not advocating for you or for anybody to break the law, but if they are going to move forward with with this type of, with a session or experience, any best practices or or thoughts you might have there before they (laughs) step into the void? Quite a few thoughts. First of all, I would say, you know, do as much reading and research as you can about it. Like read the How to Change Your Mind book, just do a lot of Googling, go down some rabbit holes figure out what you want to do, what type of experience you want to have. It is almost certainly a good idea to have someone else with you when you do it. I'd say it's a very good idea. (laughs) Ideally, that person has experience doing the stuff themselves. And even better if they've experienced, you know, being around other people while they're under the influence of this kind of stuff, make sure you carve out enough time to do it. You know, the last thing you want is to be like stressed or rushed. I mean, for me personally, I think it takes like a day to process the whole cycle of emotions that you go through during like a mushroom trip, for example. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on like a Saturday morning and make sure I got nothing planned for Sunday so I can just kind of hang out and, you know, integrate and process and journal and think through what the whole psychedelic experience was like. And I think the other thing is always know that like you don't have to go all the way in on the first go you know you can take it easy do a lower dose there's no you can always do it again later so sometimes starting low can be a good idea and you know the last piece of advice would be to just make sure you know what you're getting you know i think mushrooms are when someone gives you mushrooms it's pretty easy to know that they're mushrooms you can look at them and tell but with other things it's a little bit less obvious like sometimes people get things that they think are LSD that are not LSD or get things that they think are ketamine that are not ketamine so 
my advice would be go to a trusted source. In fact, what I would say is that if you really don't know and you're curious, you should try ketamine. And the company that I mentioned that we invested in New Life can legally get you ketamine that you can do in your own home under a doctor's supervision. So check out New Life, N-U-E.life. That's the website. And then you can make sure you have a high quality substance you're consuming and you're not breaking the law. Yeah, very helpful. And thank you for, for sharing all of that. I, we're up against time, but this has been really great, honestly. And I want to thank you for providing such an educational resource. You mentioned how to change your mind. Are there other resources or documentaries, books, your podcast, obviously, other places that people can go to get smart yeah. on this right now? My podcast, which is just named after me, the website is brom, B-R-O-M dot F-M. Uh, that podcast is largely about kind of the uh, business and investment opportunities of psychedelics. If you're interested in just learning about psychedelics in general, there's a great podcast called Psychedelics Today, which just kind of interviews a lot of people doing interesting thing in the space. I would say there's a fantastic fungi on Netflix, which is not just about psychedelics, but has some very powerful examples of psychedelic use in there. There's also How to Change Your Mind did get made into a documentary, which is also on Netflix. It's a great intro for people who are kind of unfamiliar. And you know, if you email me or DM me on Twitter or go to my website, which is empath.bc, then you know, I can also send you some resources depending on you know, your knowledge level in the space. But yeah, I do appreciate you having me here and I appreciate you being willing to expose your audience to something that is like, for many people, very, very new and might be kind of, you know, taboo or weird. So thank you for being open-minded and having me on the show. No, man. And you know, I want to thank our listeners for, for joining us. Please do rate, comment, let us know what the favorite part of the conversation was. I have a few final questions. What is your current regimen yourself personally on consumption of psychedelics, yeah. if you don't mind sharing? Sure. You know, you hear about all these people that are like, I microdose this and that, I do this and that. For me personally, man, I do psychedelics a lot less frequently than you might expect given my job. I do a substantial dose of psychedelics somewhere between two and four times per year in a you know very highly controlled setting. Very rarely I'll do like kind of a lower dose, you know, maybe recreationally or something, but that's, you know, again, maybe once or twice a year on top of that. And there have been periods of my life where I've dabbled more frequently and less frequently, but my general take on drugs, and this would include everything like alcohol and even caffeine is that they work better the less frequently you do them. So pace yourself, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that sentiment across the board. And, and a question that I ask folks who come on the show, and this relates to maybe my previous one, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Oh my God, I wish. <laughs> um, no, you know, it's funny. You listen to a lot of these like business podcasts and I, I hear all about all these people that like wake up at the same time every day and they have a super regimented meditation and red light therapy and like all these supplements. And, you know, my my day is definitely a bit more unstructured. I would say that if there's anything that brings peace for me, it's not really like a meditation practice or anything. It's just my fitness routine, which is just like weightlifting and running. And then I play a lot of guitar and that keeps me calm. I love it. Brahm, I want to thank you for coming on. If people, you already called out the podcast, but if people are interested in connecting with you, learning more about the content you're creating, the investment opportunities that you're bringing to the market, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, you can check out the fund's website. The fund is called Empath Ventures and the website is empath.vc. That's E-M-P-A-T-H dot V-C. There's an email contact on there. You can also find me on Twitter at The Real Brahm and you can send me a DM. 
Awesome. Well, Brom, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll have to do another one because I didn't get to half the questions that I wanted to ask you. So we'll get up. <laughs> we'll get a part two on the books. Okay, man. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.